I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In this episode, we talk about spiritual ruts and desolation and how it might point to the fact that one thing is missing from our relationship with God. Actually, a few years ago, I had a neck brace fitted, and ever since then, I've never looked back. Welcome, everyone, to episode 44. That lack of laughter means, A, we still start with a dad joke, and B, Jenna is not in studio with us yet again, um, but continue to pray for both of us as we continue to um, use this podcast as best we can to bring a little joy and inspiration into your faith life, and today especially, I hope that is what we will do, but... um, Quick moment of wanting to recommend that you please rate and review this podcast if you haven't yet. Uh, Visit our website on manafoodforthought.com where you can click on the Patreon button and where you can support us for as little as $1 a month financially and become a sponsor and get access to exclusive content and eventual merchandise, which we are working on as we're finalizing our logo. Uh, And follow us on social media, at manafoodforthought on Instagram is where we're most active. And you'll also see on there and on our website, we have weekly blogs or reflections on the response sponsorial psalm for the upcoming Sunday to help you prepare for Mass. And so hopefully those things help you and uh, continue to enrich your experience of this podcast and everything else that we put out there. Um, But today I want to start with my peak pit and plug. My peak is that I just went on a personal retreat. If you haven't been on a personal retreat in a while, especially if you serve in ministry, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Um, And I've just been experiencing a really just like transformative aspect of my relationship with God, which is what I'm going to talk about on this episode. So I don't want to get too much into it, but that's really been a high point for me these past few weeks, a low point or a pit. Um, I mean, this wasn't a low point, but it was just very painstaking. We decided over Memorial Day weekend that we were going to shift all of our household and bathroom products to all natural, chemical-free, you know, everything like safe and and rated and nothing like that has any linkage to any disease or cancer-causing substances. It's a surprising amount of stuff, uh, the amount of stuff that has that. And so um, that took a while to go through everything, find alternatives, go find them, order them. Um, So that was a pretty arduous process, but it is done. Um, And we already are loving it. So um, not a very deep pit, but it was just a tiring experience. Um, And a plug, which has to do a lot with what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, I want to recommend to you to go watch a series on YouTube. Um, It's a series of 14 videos, each of which is 20 to 30 minutes. So it is long, but maybe something you can do um, over the span of several weeks as a kind of an ongoing reflection. Um, But it's called the Wild Goose series. Wild goose referring to the Holy Spirit, that often we tend to think of the Holy Spirit as this tiny gentle dove, but in reality, if we know the nature of the Spirit, uh, a much better way to characterize the Holy Spirit is as a wild goose. Um, And so to really, really, I just can't recommend enough this series, um, and hopefully it will transform your relationship with the Holy Spirit or start one in the first place, um, which is what I want to talk about today. Um, I kind of had a revelation as I was re-watching that video series um, there's this, a part in episode two where the host, Father Dave Pavanka, um, he says this line. He says, Jesus is not enough. And I know that might strike you as like, whoa, wait a minute. Isn't that contrary to everything we believe as Catholics and as Christians? Um, and he says, no, theologically, Jesus is not enough because God is a trinity. 
And if only one person were enough, why would God reveal himself in this way? You know, we can't just turn to God the Father without recognizing our need for Son and Spirit. We can't just turn to Jesus without recognizing our need for Father and Spirit. And we can't just turn to the Holy Spirit without recognizing God the Father and God the Son. There's a wholeness there to God as he reveals himself as a trinity. And so Jesus is not enough. But the problem I have been experiencing over the the past several years that I've been an active Catholic, I had my conversion in 2006. Uh, that was when I really first met Jesus. Um, and I, my conversion was very much um, brought, I was brought into relationship with God through the person of Jesus in the Eucharist, in adoration. The first time I was ever in adoration, had a very profound experience, really encountered him for the first time. And from that point forward, it was really just Jesus. It was just Jesus who I connected with. My idea of God the Father that I grew up with was very um, judgmental, it was very... Um, angry or kind of ju- or um, waiting for me to trip up. And when bad things happen, it was because, you know, God was, um, was, was after me for things that I had done or mistakes I had made. Um, but recently, when I became a father, almost a year ago now, um, God the Father, that person of God the Father, just opened up a whole new avenue of my understanding of God. And my relationship with God the Father very much began to come into a whole new level of clarity. Because every time I look at my daughter, um, and I think things or I look at her with love, I can I can just immediately know like God has looked at me with those same eyes, but even greater, with even greater love. And so my relationship with Jesus has always been kind of my anchor. And my relationship with God the Father has really been connected to this new vocation um, of being a father. But if, I, am I, if I'm honest, I never really understood relationship with the Holy Spirit. I understood how to call upon the power of the Holy Spirit, how to ask the Holy Spirit to be present. I understood what the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit were and the charisms of the Spirit and some of the charisms that I've been given and how to use those. But there was something missing always in that piece. And I really think that this idea of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit is what's lacking when we when we feel like we're in a spiritual rut or in an area of desolation or routine or we get burnt out in our spiritual life. I really honestly think that all of those situations, we can trace it back to not having a tangible, real relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think part of it is because the Holy Spirit is intangible. I mean, God is intangible, but God reveals himself as Father. And we know what a Father is supposed to be like. And then Jesus comes and reveals himself as man and like walked on this earth. And we know like a whole lot more about what his nature was and the things that he said and did while he was on earth. But the Spirit always takes on this kind of ethereal symbolic type of personification like it's fire and wind and uh, a loud rushing noise or water uh, or a dove and it seems like there's just all of this contradiction or symbolism or it's almost like the force in star wars or the Tao or you know the whatever runs through everything and i think sometimes then it can be hard to pin it down um, and, and I had the temptation to try and personify the Holy Spirit as just another, another kind of Jesus figure. Um, like, you know, uh, a man who walked on two legs that looked different, who had, you know, long hair with fire at the end of it and fire in his eyes and, um, was fast and vibrant. And, you know, that is a, a characterization that helped, but I, I don't think we're meant to be able to pin down this idea of who the Spirit wants to be or is supposed to be in our lives. Because every way that the Spirit reveals himself to us is in this just very, um, 
I don't know, chaotic, adventurous, wild way. Um, and this is something that I think we, we see even in scripture. In the very early time in the church, there were people who were experiencing this incompleteness. Paul, in chapter 19 of Acts, um, he, when Apollos was in Corinth, he traveled through um, that country and he came to Ephesus. Um, and he found some disciples there. And he says this, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? And they answered him, we have never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Isn't that crazy? But that's, I think, such the reality. And when you look in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3, um, Jesus, he, um, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you are coming to me. Jesus said to him in reply, Allow it now, and thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, after Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and calling upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We know this story well. This is the baptism of Jesus. It's a baptism that if you've been baptized, you've been baptized in that same way, in water. But right before this happens... Right before this happens, John the Baptist is sharing with people and he says this, I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but one mightier, but one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, that is something that we typically don't characterize baptism as. And technically, this is really how confirmation is supposed to look. But did you really experience, if you've been confirmed, did you really experience your confirmation as a baptism of fire? I mean, think about the nature of fire. Like fire illuminates. Were you open to a whole new sense of reality? Were you illuminated to this whole other idea of relationship with God and what your life could look like? Fire purifies. Did you experience just a complete renewal in your relationship with God? Fire also protects. Did you feel like God um, had this sense of, of um, washing over you in a way that, that equipping you with the armor of God or with whatever gifts or talents or charisms that you now had to be able to go and, and face evil in the world or bring people into the light? Fire has a sense of comfort that, um, you know, we can gather around the fire for comfort. Did you have the sense of like family, a new sense of family with God? And fire can also have a sense of burning. It can hurt. And have you experienced because of your confirmation, because of your relationship with the Holy Spirit, a sense of like, wow, this is, this is overwhelming. This is powerful. This, this can be painful in my life in a really good way and also really difficult way that it can separate me from other people because I want to live my life in such an extraordinary way that it's vastly different than what other people do. Is that, is that how we live as confirmed Catholics, as people who live in the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, I really don't think so. I didn't see that in my own life. And I don't know about you, but but I, pre I prepared young people for confirmation for the past like 10 years. And I know even when I try my best, that emphasis is not always there. And that experience is not always there of this sense of complete new creation and relationship with God. And you know what I think it is? I think it is because I and a lot of us in the church don't 
understand what it is to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. We understand the Holy Spirit more as a power or a love that we call down and that can animate us in a moment or energize us. And there's this kind of supernatural quality, but there's never really, I've never heard a sense of relationship with the Holy Spirit, a sense of, um, you know, allowing the Holy Spirit to flood into my life in such a way that there's a, a sense of wildness and adventure, um, a sense of, kind of this, this, this beautiful chaos. You know, I kind of think about it like um, when you first meet, um, you know, a person that, that you might consider like dating and you end up falling in love and that passion, that kind of honeymoon butterfly phase in the beginning where you want to make memories together and have these experiences together and be able to tell these great stories about, um, you know, how you met and the experiences you had to your future children or grandchildren, you know, as you get further along in the relationship, that sense of just passion and wildness and joy that is what I really characterize, I think, is the Holy Spirit. And what's so tragic is I think it's missing in so many of our lives. You know, I think we get in a spiritual rut with God. Uh, we get this advice often. You know what you need to do? You need to change up your prayer routine. You need to try something different. And that can be helpful. Or maybe it's because we're not making it a priority. And so maybe we have to rearrange and start to make it a priority and schedule it first and make time for it. Or sometimes maybe we're encouraged like, hey, wait it out. Like, make sure that your your relationship with God is not based on experiences and these Jesus highs that you have. But you're recognizing like it's not about the experience. It's just about being in relationship with God. But I still think that those things, they don't point directly enough to this lack that we have of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You see, in our relationship with God the Father, we have a sense of our identity. We know that we're sons and daughters of God. We're baptized into his family. We become children, baptized into the roles of priest, prophet, and king. And God is our father who loves us. He finds us worthy. He knows us. He accepts us as we are. That is a relationship of a father who shows us our identity as his children. And then in Jesus, we experience intimacy with God. You know, God the Father, he still can sometimes have this characterization of being distant. And as he should, he reveals himself in these very distant and powerful ways. And he comes down to be face to face with us in the person of Jesus. And that's where that intimacy, I mean, receiving Jesus, walking down the aisle at mass to receive him at the altar, like a wedding, like the most intimate exchange and where Jesus offers us his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we offer him everything that we are just like at a wedding, like that is real intimacy. But what we lack is that with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, if God the Father reveals us our identity, Jesus the Son reveals us intimacy with God. Holy Spirit, I think, reveals us intention. What is the intention of my life? The intention of what I'm meant to do in this situation or that. But also, but not in this like drawn up plan. Like here's, you're going to wake up at this time, at this day. This is God's will for you. You're going to brush your teeth. You're going to do that. But a sense of purpose and a sense of drive and a sense of going into any situation, knowing that there's an intention that you're bringing to it. There's a purpose. I don't think that we have this. And at least not in this ever-changing, adventurous, wild, wily way. I think when we only tend toward one or two persons of the Trinity... Our spiritual life will always and very quickly feel imbalanced, lacking, dry, burnt out, fruitless, or only based on these high moment experiences. But I think we can have these high moment experiences every single day if we understand 
the nature of relationship we are being called to with God and especially with the person of the Holy Spirit. You know what's so crazy is like, you know, God the Father reveals himself in the Old Testament. And then he comes and reveals himself as God the Son. And and Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he says, one greater than I is coming. He tells the apostles, don't go anywhere. Wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is the way that God is in relationship, was in relationship with the early church and continues to be in relationship with us. The Holy Spirit is the most tangible person of God that we can access today on earth. And yet... Who do we almost always characterize in prayer or go to in prayer? Father, Lord, Jesus. Rarely, most rarely do we go to the Holy Spirit. I'm talking very generally. Generally, This may not be you. You may just be sitting there like, amen, knowing you have this beautiful charismatic relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I hope you do, or at least I hope you hear this and it gives you a desire to develop it. But I really want you to ask yourself right now, Who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit look like in my life? You know, maybe an image, a symbol, something that has this characterization of wildness, of laughter, of adventure, of joy. In fact, I want you to think about when was the last time in your life you experienced those things? Where you were just on this sense of wild adventure with joyful laughter and abandon, spontaneity, not caring about the plan or what was going to happen tomorrow, but really just allowing yourself to be present in a beautiful moment. Do you remember how you felt kind of the static electricity inside of you you felt? That is a glimmer of the Holy Spirit. How can you open yourself up more to that each and every day? Because this should be what we experience when we get confirmed, but it's rarely the experience that we receive. And maybe it's going to come out through you learning what gifts or charisms of the Holy Spirit that God has given you. You know, we get in scripture these gifts and fruits. You know, we all receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit when we get confirmed. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge, counsel, fortitude, piety, and fear of the Lord. And we're meant to bear these fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, um, goodness, um, chastity, modesty, self-control. But there are charisms of the Spirit that exist. Some supernatural charisms or extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, some of these are highlighted in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. And what they are, are um, you know, the word uh, or gift of wisdom. Kind of this supernatural ability to come up with solutions to problems that seem unsolvable by, by um, you know, human standards. Um, or uh, a word of knowledge that sometimes uh, we have a charism to be able to be revealed information that we would not have otherwise been able to know. The gift of faith, kind of this not normal kind of faith, like God, I believe in you, but this kind of a special ability to believe for really great and big things from God, just a supernatural ability to just pray until this answer comes and know that it will come. The gift of healing, that this wasn't just something that happened in the early church where people could just lay hands and say, get up and walk. But this still happens today. And not just in these like fundamentalist, non-denominational churches where you see, you know, people get healed and you might think like, is this a show? Is this really happening? Like it really does happen. It happens in the Catholic church. This was our tradition. It continues to be our tradition since the very early church 
from the apostles themselves, from the person of Jesus himself, that we can have this ability to heal bodies. And it's not our ability. It's the Holy Spirit working and giving that ability to us as an instrument. The gift of miracles for miraculous things to be able to be brought about. You know, you read in Acts, um, the opening of prison doors, the breaking of chains, releasing angels, um, opening blind eyes, changing of weather, delivering people from demons. Um, We also can potentially have the gift of prophecy to be able to um, speak in such a way or relay a message in such a way that speaks right to the heart of what someone is going through without knowing them. Not necessarily like a word of knowledge, which is specific information, but speaking prophetically like right to the heart of what someone needs to hear in that moment. Uh, another gift is discernment of spirits. Um, this is a way, a gift that, that um, people have in the church to be able to determine authenticity of other gifts or if something is being brought about by deception. Uh, speaking in tongues. That there are um, just, there's this ability to kind of have this divine private prayer language, this kind of baby babbling to God our Father through the Holy Spirit. And that some people can also have a sense of interpreting those tongues to be able to hear um, a language they've never heard or even a divine language or a message from God and be able to convey that to someone in the moment or to a community of prayer. I particularly look at these gifts um, and and I, I can see that I've had in, in my life moments where I've had the charism of wisdom, the charism of faith, um, very few, a couple moments maybe where I was given a word of knowledge about someone, um, and discernment of spirits and speaking in tongues. Those are the things that the Holy Spirit has been able to awaken in my life. Um, we're not all meant to have all of these gifts, but we're all meant to be able to have some of them. In fact, you all, because if you have the Holy Spirit in you by virtue of your baptism, unleashed in and awoken in a special way at your confirmation, sealed um, and received in a fuller way at your confirmation, in a way that should bring about these charisms in your life. But are you open to that? Is that something that, um, that happens in your life? And then there are a bunch of other charisms that we see in scripture. Uh, charisms of administration, celibacy, craftsmanship, encouragement, evangelism, giving, uh, charism of helping others, um, hospitality, intercessory prayer, leadership, mercy, um, being a missionary, charism of music, the charism of pastoring, uh, the charism of service or teaching, charisms of voluntary poverty, uh, the charism of writing. Um, all of these are gifts that you might have and that God is seeking in a special way for you to use to promote and defend the faith and live as a disciple of Jesus Christ in whatever vocation God calls you to. Not just as a married person or single or religious or priest, but also in your vocations of father or mother, brother or sister, citizen, employee, student, whatever it might be. In your workplace, in your family life, in your friendships. To be able to use these to build the, the kingdom and to bring about the glory of God. And charisms are used in such a way that it's not just a talent. It's not just a gift that you have or a natural inclination or ability. Because you could, if you're talented, let's say at something, let's say you're talented at music, and then you start playing music every single day and doing all, you might get exhausted. But if music is a charism that you have, there's kind of a belief or an understanding that like it, there's such a, an experience of the Holy Spirit in that moment that you will never, ever, ever feel burnt out when you are exercising that particular charism. 
And so in the show notes for this episode, I'm going to include a link to an online assessment that you can take. It's about 100 questions to try and honestly assess who you are now, not who you would like to be uh, and what gifts you have now, not what gifts you would like to have. And it will result in a, uh, a, a categorization of what some of your top charisms are based on a score on how you answer the questions. And the higher the score, the, the higher the charism might be in your life. It still might be just a gift or a talent, and that's kind of up to you with a spiritual director or maybe someone who knows you well to kind of discern. But an ability to be able to look there and say, maybe this is the open door by which I can invite the Holy Spirit into my life in such a way to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And not simply see the Holy Spirit as this force or this power that I can call upon in moments. But to recognize the Holy Spirit is is desiring to be in relationship with me and in relationship with the church. In fact, this is the way that God said, from Jesus onward, I am going to be with you in this way. And yet, it's the first person of the Trinity that we either abandon or under, or misunderstand and, and usually have the least amount of relationship with. And so I want to encourage you, maybe in a moment of prayer or a moment of honesty with yourself, have you received this baptism of fire in the Holy Spirit? And if you haven't, are you willing to ask for it in a way that's not asking for a particular gift? You know, sometimes people approach these charisms of the Holy Spirit and they ask for a particular one because they want to appear a certain way. They want to kind of be like a Catholic superhero. And and my charism of discernment of spirits, I see that a lot. I see kind of where the desire is authentic and where it is out of pride or vanity. And I see pretty often that there are these desires that come out of pride and vanity. And so what I want to encourage you to do is not pray necessarily for a specific gift. Pray for the openness to have a specific gift if you're asking for one. Because the scripture says, if you want a specific gift, ask for it. But pray for the openness to the spirit to say, Holy Spirit, whatever gift or charism that you want to awaken in my heart and my life, do it. When I prayed that prayer, I found that I was able to pray so easily in tongues. And it was never the gift that I understood, wanted, or really thought was beneficial in any way whatsoever. I kind of had this like, oh, that's weird. I don't know why people do that. It kind of strikes me as strange or kind of like pay attention to me, um, to be honest. like that's, And I think that's how a lot of people who are much more rigid in their, in their interpretation of how to live out their faith also see just the charismatic movement or relationship with the Holy Spirit in general. But that particular gift, because it seems so purposeless um, or used so often without interpretation of tongues next to it, that it can often be looked at as inauthentic. But when I received it, I kind of understood just this ability to kind of allow the, the, the supernatural voice of the Holy Spirit to take over and what a, a presence to prayer that it brings and what a unique voice and language it brings to prayer. I mean, what a beautiful gift to be able to speak to God in a language I don't use with anybody else. Um, and to be able to know that like he is just right there, palpable, present, soaked in that moment. And to be able to understand like, wow, there's a purpose for this, even if it only ends up ever being for me. And that I and when I pray over other pre- people under my breath, not to distract them, but to just allow the Holy Spirit to be more tangible in my prayer for that person. And so there's a purpose to every one of these gifts, a purpose to every charism. I One of my charisms is um, one of the other charisms I listed that I have is administration. And, and I think people often read that charism and it's like, well, you know, there's some people who heal and there's some people who drive out spirits and then there's the administrators. But let me tell you, like, 
just the ability to to have that charism in my life and to be able to have a presence to people because I'm so organized that I wouldn't otherwise be able to have is something that like has honestly been something that people notice about me and commend me for and even maybe tease me for, but in a way that I think really points to the fact that the Holy Spirit is working in me in a unique way that they notice. And I think that that is true for everyone. Every single person, there are charisms probably in my life that I haven't even unlocked yet or that I haven't asked for in the right way or been open to completely yet out of fear or out of worry or out of a lack of understanding. And so I want to encourage you to explore this in your own life, to maybe just pray a simple, honest prayer. Come Holy Spirit, give me whatever charisms or gifts that you would desire me to have, not for my glory, but for yours, Lord. And to watch that series on YouTube, The Wild Goose, to gain this better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how you can be in relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit and not just treat it like a, the force or like some um, you know thing that you can tap into, this wireless connection to God. You know, Yes, the Holy Spirit isn't meant to be personified necessarily as a person because when you think about the nature of God as family and relationship— father as lover the son is beloved and their love between them is so strong it's this new person of the holy spirit that the holy spirit being quantified as this intangible adventurous wild love doesn't seem like something that would just stand up on two legs and walk around like a person and so maybe you're not meant to pin it down but that doesn't mean you can't be in relationship with the holy spirit so I want to encourage you to explore that. And if you're really struggling with this idea, um, I want to direct you to a saint and maybe some writings from the saint that might help you. Um, uh, saint Basil the Great or Basil of Caesarea. Um, saint Basil lived from 329-ish until 379-ish. His birth and uh, death dates are sometimes disputed because he lived so long ago. But he lived to about 50 years old. Um, and he was a bishop in Caesarea um, Mazaka, which is in Cappadocia and Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, and he was uh, a theologian in the early church right around the time when a lot of heresies were being disputed about the Trinity. And a lot of these councils, like the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Ephesus, the Council of Constantinople, all of these councils were being gathered to be able to really discuss what was the nature, uh, who, what was the nature of Jesus. That was particularly the Council of Nicaea, and again at the Council of Constantinople, and then how we understand the Holy Spirit, and are they three equal persons, um, or are they three separate people? Um, and really trying to understand who the Trinity is. And so Basil the Great, his brother, is also a saint, St. Gregory of Nyssa. And they had another friend, Gregory of Nazianzus. The three of them are referred to collectively as the Cappadocian Fathers. And they were instrumental in understanding the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, the word that we have for saying God is one divine God or being, but three separate persons, distinct persons. That word person in Greek is hypostasis, and that means way of being. And that came from the Cappadocian Fathers and their understanding and explanation of who the Trinity was. And so I really want to encourage you to um, read a little bit about his life. Um, he came from a very holy family. Um, he was educated in Anessi um, after he was baptized to study aesthetics um, and monasticism, but he realized um, that he respected their piety and their prayerfulness, but he wasn't about like the solitary life or being, you know, in a monastery. He wanted to be out in the world, um, you know, um, 
in in the in the trenches in the midst of the what the church was discussing and all these uh, theological discussions about who God was and the nature of the Trinity, um, and so he attended the Council of Constantinople um, and began to really understand this and and reaffirming the the Nicene Creed and the disputes against Arianism, the Arian heresy, which said that Jesus wasn't divine; he was just a man, basically. And then uh, with his brother and Gregory Nazianzus became this group of uh, very. Uh, respected um, and still, you know, uh, looked upon today, um, early church fathers, the Cappadocian fathers, uh, and their understanding of the Trinity. Um, and his principal writing, his principal theological writing, is called On the Holy Spirit. And it's an appeal to scripture and tradition, um, to basically to prove, prove the divinity of the Holy Spirit as a person, an equal person of the Trinity. And so I want to encourage you to maybe read some excerpts of that uh, and really ask for his intercession as you're seeking to be um, awoken to this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so that is our patron saint for this episode. Uh, we hope this episode was beneficial f- uh, to you. And I pray just uh, that the Holy Spirit would flood into your life. Uh, flood into your heart. Um, what helps me sometimes in silent prayer is just to sit there with my eyes closed and get into a really prayerful state and then imagine literally a door on my chest opening up and kind of just light from inside and light from outside kind of converging and the Holy Spirit, just feeling the Holy Spirit kind of soaking into my body. Um, and I've had just some real lightning bolt static moments and probably the first time I ever felt that baptism of fire uh, in that type of prayer situation. Not in some big, uh, huge event or conference, but it was really just in a holy hour that was quiet and silent um, and uneventful. But my heart was in the right place and open enough and inviting enough for the Holy Spirit to come into my life in whatever adventurous, wild, joyful way that it desired, that he desired, and awaken within me this new relationship and these new charisms. And so I really want to encourage you, whatever it takes to do that same thing, um, go check out the Wild Goose series on YouTube, read a little bit from St. Basil, pray for his intercession, and then begin to pray for that openness and trust to the Holy Spirit and who he wants to be in your own life. Know that we are praying for you, and we will see you in the Eucharist.